When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, it's funny, I get on these little tangents where I'll have an idea in my head and do one or two or three podcasts with similar types of messages, and sort of this has been evolving uh, over over the last few days to some different topics related to long-term maintenance of botanical-style aquariums, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to touch on that. And many of you have asked me, um, what, you know, what does it take to keep one of these tanks going? How do they run over the long term? And everybody wants to see if they can run a long time with these tanks. And that's, first of all, it's very gratifying to hear that because the answer immediately is, yeah, they can certainly run for a long period of time. Number two, it shows that people are taking a longer term view of this, waiting for their tanks to evolve and uh, enjoy them over time, which is exactly what we want you to do. Now, this is an area that's of great interest to me personally as well. And over the years, I've been experimenting with and managing these types of systems. I've placed a lot of emphasis on things like water quality and environmental consistency. Now, on first glance, the, the visual impression you get from botanical style aquariums is that they're dirty, organic, heavy systems with high levels of nitrates and phosphates and all kinds of nasty stuff. Systems sort of teetering on the edge of failure, if you will. And I suppose it's partially because of the very appearance of these tanks. They're filled with decomposing leaves and accumulating biofilms, and they have detritus and that dark brown tannin-stained water. On the surface, the uninitiated could easily conclude that you're playing with all the ingredients for a potential disaster. Makes sense. Now, the point is, how long do you keep your aquariums, uh, botanical-style aquariums, that is, up and running? A few months, a year, several years? As somebody who has more than a casual interest in this stuff, I know I've spent a huge amount of time talking about how to select botanicals, how to prepare them, how to utilize them in the aquariums. I've talked about what happens when you place them in water and how botanical style aquariums evolve over time. It's all well and good, but I've probably talked a lot less about the idea of keeping these aquariums over the very long term. And by the definition of very long term to me would be a couple of years or more, not a year, two, three years more. And I mean, it, t- it makes a lot of sense because botanical-style aquariums, in my opinion, as we've talked about just recently, don't even really hit their stride for at least three to six months after you start them. Yet, of course, in this content-driven, Instagram-fueled, postmodern aquarium world, I know that we tend to, as hobbyists, we tend to show new looks quite often, new aquariums going up. And it probably gives the, uh, you know, the impression that these things are, you know, little pop-up tanks set up for a photography session and then broken down quickly. We don't talk about the long-term function of them. And so I suppose even those of us with the best intentions may over the years have contributed to a little bit of misunderstanding or misconceptions in this area. And I think those of us who fancy ourselves as thought leaders need to do more to share the processes of establishing, evolving, and maintaining these tanks over the long term. So to that end, I promise this year, uh, when I set up my next set of tanks in the next few months, 
I'm going to do a lot more documentation of the entire process over the months, documenting the whole journey from brand new to mature and sharing the ups and downs and all the stuff in between along the way. Now, regrettably, the way this works uh, or the way this work is often, you know, portrayed on social media, it likely enables us to project our human impatience and desire for instant gratification on living creatures because people think you can just set these things up, get fishes in there, it's done, finished, you got this ecosystem going. Takes time, guys, takes time. And it's the opposite of nature's timetable. Again, nature does things in a time and a manner that are best suited for the organisms which reside in the natural world. There's no need or no reason to conform to our timetable to get the aquarium you know, stable and cycle, you know, this weekend or whatever. Besides, if the goal is to keep an aquarium functioning over the longer period of time, what's the rush to get it, you know, perfect? Patience, as always, is the key ingredient here. We, I know we just talked about this and it's so important. Now, like with most types of aquariums, I don't think that there's an upper limit to how long you can keep a botanical-style aquarium up and running. It's predicated upon our ability to stick to a mindset and a process. The longest I've personally maintained one of these types of systems continuously has been about five and a half years. And the only reason I broke that tank down was because I was doing a home remodel that required me to move the tank out of the area where it was, uh, uh, where it was located. And in fact, I kept the substrate intact. And when I set it back up, I used that same substrate and the tank kept right on going. So it was sort of interrupted, but yeah, I'll call it five and a half years. The reality though, is that I could have kept this system going indefinitely. The interesting thing about botanical-style aquariums, too, is that they run really, really well for extended periods of time with simple, time-honored husbandry practices and mindsets. As most of you who work with these aquariums know, the key to long-term success with them is to just go slowly deploy a lot of patience, common-sense husbandry, monitoring of the environmental parameters, and carefully stock your aquariums. It's not much different than you'd need to do to successfully maintain any type of aquarium over the long term. As I've discussed many, many times, for the longest time in the aquarium hobby, there seemed to be this perception that botanical style or blackwater aquariums or whatever you want to classify them as were delicate, you know, tricky to maintain systems, fraught with all sorts of disaster, a soft water, acidic environment, which could slip precipitously into some sort of environmental freefall without any warning. It's a scary and undeserved attribute ascribed to these kinds of tanks. Now, most of us who've played with these types of aquariums have seen the exact opposite, minimal, if any, detectable nitrates, phosphates, and remarkably stable pH values. The reality is that once the tank is set, that is, once you've done the initial adding of all your botanicals and wood and leaves and stuff, like any tank, they sort of seem to find an equilibrium. And I've said it many times, and I think it needs repeating. In my opinion, botanical-style aquariums are no more difficult or dangerous to maintain than any other type of aquarium that we work with. They simply have different operating parameters, which require you to learn uh, and and understand. And once you do, you can create stable, long-term viable systems really easily. Now, there's always warnings that we receive from hobbyists about the dangers of flirting with, you know, materials that can lower the pH of your tanks under certain conditions. And People talk about these so-called pH crashes. Now, personally, I have never, in over 23 years of playing with this type of tank, have never, ever seen. I just haven't. Now, I know that's a big concern for a lot of people, and I'm not going to downplay it or dismiss it. However, the reality is that I have not, and I don't know anybody that actually has, uh, had one of these types of things happen. Are we lucky? Well, maybe. Do we practice good overall aquarium husbandry and common sense? Yeah. 
This means we do water exchanges, like 10% or more weekly, every damn week, with the same kind of water, but R-O-D-I. We clean and replace, you know, filter pads or filter socks or other media that we use. We don't feed recklessly. We don't overstock with fishes. We monitor basic water parameters weekly, and we properly prepare and replace our botanicals as needed. We don't do anything crazy. We don't, we, we use some substrates which have maybe a slight buffering capacity. So I don't see this pH fluctuations that people are talking about. I just never have. Okay. Put me in for a metal, right? I mean, just because me and my friends and a few people do it with relative ease and success doesn't mean that it's a piece of cake or anything like that. I get it. But my point was not to humble brag and, you know, say how cool this is. Rather, it's to remind you that if a guy like me can do it, a serious hobbyist like you with a lot of skill can do it too. And it should give you some comfort knowing that in addition to just me and my buddies, <laughs> hobbyists all over the world have been playing with botanical laden systems without these anomalous crashes and disasters. Can bad stuff happen? Oh, sure. The most common disasters we've seen have been caused by adding too many botanicals too quickly. And that results in this excessive bacterial respiration, which in turn likely lowers the water's dissolved oxygen and increases the CO2 levels rapidly to a really dangerous rate. And what happens is the fish you know, gasp at the surface to get air. And of course that could be remediated with water changes and aeration and so forth, but it's scary when it happens and it could result in fatalities. But that's the extent of the bad that I've seen. That and I've seen people buy from unscrupulous vendors that have maybe sold materials that were perhaps intended for other purposes like arts and crafts and they've had varnish or shellac or chemicals applied to them or stuff like that. And boiling them isn't going to get rid of. So that has happened on occasion. I've heard people tell me about this stuff and then they tell me where they bought it and then I understand why but those are the extent of the things that we've heard the idea of a pH crash is absolutely possible I'm sure but I think it's largely avoidable much like the CO2 increase thing we talked about a pH crash is when the pH suddenly and unintentionally drops because of the release of acid into the water with little or no buffering capacity and this can be dramatic and pretty quick and it's very stressful for fishes and it could potentially kill them but I think, once again, it would be caused because of our own actions, intentional or otherwise, not thinking things through, going too fast, not something that's inherently on standby in a blackwater or botanical-style aquarium. Sure, we work with materials that can affect the pH under certain circumstances, but it's not a ticking time bomb. If you add materials logically and slowly and understand what you're doing, you've got to make the effort to study this. We've talked about this before. Observation and patience are the key. Now, I'm not a chemist, and I'll be the first to admit that, you know, the, the arguments that I use to justify my, my positions are largely anecdotal, but they're based on operating many of these aquariums myself over the years. Have I done rigorous controlled lab experiments on all this stuff? Of course not. That being said, I'd welcome those who have the ability and desire to do that to do some experiments, see what we can learn. I'm really of the opinion that we as hobbyists are the causative factor of many of these so-called anomalous events in our aquariums. They can almost always be traced back to some action that we took or didn't take, which triggered the event. A lot of it's based on understanding or misunderstanding. Now, look, if you're continuously adding materials which drive down the pH in your tank, and if it has insufficient buffering capacity, the pH will go down. How rapidly? Well, I couldn't tell you. But I believe such crashes, the crashes people talk about, are quick, immediate responses to some causative factors. I think that they can be remedied equally as quickly. There's a lot of information on this stuff on hobby forums about working with pH. And quite frankly, 
I find it a little too complex and tedious to explain easily, and it's not always easy to understand for everybody, so I recommend doing a deep dive on this stuff if it's a real concern to you. There's a lot of good information, both at the hobby level and the scientific level, on pH and uh, alk- you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, you can look for it out there. It's on Google. Go for it. I encourage you to study it. So back to the main topic here. What happens over time in a botanical-style aquarium? Well, typically, as most of you who have played with these tanks know, the botanicals soften and ultimately break down over several months. Botanical materials are the very definition of ephemeral. Nothing lasts forever, and botanicals are no exception. Pretty much everything we utilize, from guava leaves to melastoma roots to catapa bark, starts to soften and break down over time. Some of these materials last a very long time. Most of these materials should be viewed as consumables, meaning that you'll need to replace them over time if you want to keep the desired results consistent, i.e. if they're releasing visual tint that you like, or perhaps um, they are lowering the pH. Eventually, the, the, the compounds within the materials are exhausted, but that could take a long time, and you just have to monitor. I can't tell you when a, a given uh, you know, alder cone is going to stop releasing uh, humic substances and, and tannins and, and stuff that could bring down the pH. <laughs> Nobody really knows, so you just have to monitor. Now, sure, all botanicals go through phases where they have a lot of biofilms and the fungal growth before they ultimately break down, and you'll have many opportunities to remove them if you don't like. In the case of most hobbyists, is, hobbyists these days, um, we tend to add materials as the old ones break down, and you know, which is analogous to natural leaf drop, which occurs in the streams and riverbeds of the world. And of course, this always prompts the next question, which is, do I leave my botanicals in the tank till they completely break down, or do I remove them? My advice, leave them in. Now, I personally have never had any negative side effects that I could attribute to leaving botanicals in my system to completely break down in an otherwise healthy, well-managed aquarium. Yeah, it's going to produce pieces of broken down botanical materials and some detritus. Well, you know how I feel about detritus. Look it up. (laughs) Now, many, many um, users of botanicals, present company included, see no detectable increases in nitrate or phosphate as a result of this practice. I get that question a lot. Of course, this prompted me to postulate that perhaps they perform some sort of natural biological filtration capacity and actually foster processes like denitrification. I have no scientific evidence to back this theory up, of course, like most of my theories. However, other than my results, that I would say, however, I think there might be a grain of truth here. I believe that the microbiome of a botanical-style aquarium, complete with fungal growths, biofilms, and decomposing leaves, is really diverse and potentially quite beneficial as a ecological filtration system. The other thing that we talk about is that these botanicals foster these organisms, which sort of form a supplemental food for many fishes. And my experiments with abstaining from feeding in leaf litter dominant tanks for many months validated this theory. I've done it a few times. We've talked about that. Now, of course, you're dealing with a tank filled with decomposing botanical materials, so you need to stay on top of stuff. And you know, our embrace of natural processes isn't just about abandoning all well-established aquarium husbandry practices. Botanical-style aquariums aren't just set-and-forget systems. Good overall husbandry is a necessity to keep your tank stable and healthy, and that includes the dreaded water exchanges. I know people dread water exchanges. I don't know why I like doing them, but whatever. (laughs) I know I keep going back to this stuff, but as we pointed out, at the very least, you're likely going to be you know, cleaning or replacing pre-filter material that you might have as part of your routine so you don't clog your return pumps. And that's typically a weekly to bi-weekly thing. And part of the art and science of botanical-style aquarium keeping is the idea of developing consistency and understanding what to expect over the long term, as we just talked about. And yeah, 
one of the most important behavioral characteristics I think we can have in this hobby besides patience is consistency. Just sort of goes with the territory here. This is where those who don't understand these types of aquariums and the habitats we're trying to replicate get it all wrong and really short sell this stuff. It's about understanding and processing what's happening in those little aquatic ecosystems that we create. It's about asking questions, modifying techniques, and yeah, plain hunches, all skills that we as hobbyists have practiced for generations. When you distill it all, we're still just keeping an aquarium. Yeah, that's one that's far more natural, dynamic, and potentially game-changing for the aquarium hobby. But it's one that we don't need to be afraid of. And it's one that's perfectly equipped for long-term extended operations. Stay engaged, stay thoughtful, stay curious, stay dedicated, stay focused, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenon Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.